new creation in Christ, and it's a new choice. And, and thanks to Mike and all the, the struggle we had over the last couple of weeks, I'm able to just do what I've wanted to do for a wee while, and that is just show you the video. This is what we did last week, right? Why the cross had to happen. And remember how I talked about just the week before, I had all the different things com coming up, just to refresh your memories. And we finished there the cross decisive move. Remember, we, we looked back again at the temptation in Genesis. And I said it had four components. Remember, question God, immortality, you'll never die, you'll be like God, and knowledge is the source of life. Remember, we looked at that. But as we read Philippians 2 6 10, we find out that the Jesus did the exact opposite to the lie. Obedient, he chose death, emptied himself, and God raised him up. He trusted God. And we contrasted the two, where there's questioning, there's obedience, immortality, choosing death. You know, you'll be like God. He emptied himself, and he, he allowed God to, to raise him up. We saw that Gethsemane meant oil press, and it really is a struggle of choice. And Jesus had to do it in the garden because the first thing, the first sin happened in the garden. And remember, I said it was a real struggle for Jesus, and his soul was sorrowful unto death. And we saw what Calvary meant. It meant from the Aramaic Golgotha, and Calvaria means just the skull, and we call it now. Calvary, Jesus was crucified there. And we saw asked the question, why was Jesus crucified in the place of skull? Why was he crucified on a tree? Why did he experience forsakenness? And why did Jesus wear the crown of, of thorns? And that's, these were all important questions. And we saw some Bible verses that talked about Jesus was made in the likeness of sin, that he became sin, um, for us that we might become the righteousness of God and how he bore our sins on the tree in First Peter there. And then we saw that the response to the cross really is going to be a stumbling block. People will not get their heads around it. There's going to be a foolishness or it can be the power of God. And that was a verse that, that Paul, Paul did there. And then we just saw in the great exchange, he was punished, we might be forgiven, wounded, we might be healed, made sin, we might become righteousness, tasted death, we might taste life. He became poor so that we might become rich. Now, remember that? Yes. And that's where we were last week, and that's where we ended up. This week, I want to just begin with a verse I used in the first study Remember I said that God wanted to do something with people. And in the book of Ezekiel 36, God said, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove you from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and I will move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Now, it's important there's five wills. Now, as I was saying to Helen before service, it's very hard because to contain 
all this because as you read, say, the book of Isaiah, it tells you, it gives you a description of the satanic attitude. And there's five I wills. I will ascend to, you know, my throne above the throne of God. And it's interesting, God has five I wills that he wants to do with us. And the, the first one is cleansing. God wants to make people clean. But you've got to understand that it's not an... It's not the cleanliness from um, the tree of good and evil. Because you and I, when we think of being clean, we think that we're being dirty <laughs> and things like that. But uncleanness for God really meant that he could not have a relationship with the people. God hates sin because sin destroys relationships. He doesn't hate sin in the sense of because people are just simply doing wrong. It's cause as a sin, they're separating themselves from the life that he wants to give. And God is incredibly in the Old Testament frustrated with the people because they're sinful. Remember in Jeremiah, it was two things. Because they've forsaken him, the source of, of living water, and the created broken systems. They created their own source of life, and that couldn't give them life. And that frustrates God. And God's desperation, He wants to make us clean in the sense that He can have fellowship. Not simply because you're dirty and because you're awful. It's because He cannot relate to you. And so He has to make us clean. And you notice the method, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Now notice, in all this, it's God, I will. It's not you and it's not me. Right? I can spend my whole life trying to be clean and get nowhere. I can start when I'm 20. I'm going to really be clean and I put all my effort into it and I can reach 80 and I'm still not clean. You know why? Because it's not to do with me. It's something that God wants to do for you. And his method is, he wants to put in you a new spirit. And he wants to change just the attitudes of your life. And in changing them, and it's in the description there. He takes away a heart of stone and gives you a heart of flesh. Oh, I've not got a heart of stone. Well, I always say, if you press the right button in a human being, you'll find areas of their life where there's no emotion whatsoever, but against something. You know, a, a husband can have a heart of stone against his wife. A wife can have a heart of stone against, you know, their husband. A brother and sister can have a heart of stone. The interesting thing, Jesus talked about in the last days in Matthew, he talked about there would be a growth of, of just cold love. That's strange, isn't it? He said, the love of many will grow cold. And that means simply that there will be an attitude of just blank. 
You have people who you blank out, yeah? You can nod. I'm the only one who sees. Flutter your, eyebrow, your eyes, right? I'm the only one who sees it. But we all have that. Pro- there'll be people press the right button and there are people who you blank out. We we'll, we'll all struggle with it. I struggle with it. You struggle with it. And God's answer is to give us a heart of flesh. And that's the good news of the gospel. Right? And notice the outcome. By putting his spirit in us and move, it moves us to follow him. And notice what it says there, to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. This is what God is working inside us to do. I was listening to somebody and, and they made a wee statement which was, I found quite funny anyway. He said, you know, if God wanted to hide, where would he hide? And the person said, he'd hide inside a human being because that's always the last place you look. <laughs> and there's an element of truth in that, isn't there? It's the last place people will look. But that's where God wants to be, inside us, moving us and doing all these things. Now, you'll know this passage, Ephesians 2, 1, 6. Do you want to read it with me? Can you see either up there and here? If you can read it with me, just read it with me. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So notice this, the first part of that, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions, and it's very hard for us to understand this, but from God's perspective, we're dead in the old creation because it can't relate to us. The, the, the best way of putting it is, I think I've maybe used it before, but if, if we're all on an FM frequency, and God operates in a medium wave frequency. It doesn't matter how loud God shouts or that. The two can't meet. You with me on the radio? They're just two different frequencies. They can't, cannot relate. One has to change. And God changes us to be in his frequency. And so how he does it, you'll notice there, it's the attitude of God because of his great love for us, God who is rich, rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. Notice this, even when we were de- dead in our transgressions. Remember I said you can't, you can't make yourself clean, you can't make yourself right with God, but God has done it even when we were still in all the mess and all the rubbish in our life, 
God makes us alive. Now notice, the rubbish, the transgression is not taken away and then God will do it. But God does it while we were still in our transgression. That's why as a Christian, you know, you, you do things and you say to yourself, oh God, how can you love me? How can you even be with me? And it's because when you were dead, Christ has died for you. When you were dead, when you couldn't do anything, when you couldn't give him anything, when you, 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 when you, you didn't even have the penny like a children's story, when you couldn't even give that, God, Christ dies for you. And that's incredible, and it's important for that to remember that. And notice what he does. He makes us alive with Christ. Now, this is going to be important for us. Remember, our title is A New Creation in Christ. Remember, there's two trees, the tree of life, and there's a tree of the, the goodness of uh, not evil, goodness and evil, good and evil. Two trees, the choice, which one do you eat from? That comes right through the Scripture to the point that God puts us into the realm where our source is the equivalent of the tree of life. It's a tree of life. Remember Jeremiah? Um, you, you've, you've really neglected me, the source of living water. There, now it comes to being in Christ. And that's what he does. But you notice this, and this is important. He puts us into a place of authority. Remember last week I said that one of the things after about 40 years in the ministry that used to always drive me nutty was when a Christian would say, I don't know if God loves me. This is how God shows his love. When you're dead, he makes you alive with Christ. And he doesn't just make you alive with Christ. He's going to put you into a position of spiritual authority. You're going to be raised to be where Christ is. Now, that's going to be incredibly important because most of us, when we pray, we're praying from the position of the old creation. But when you pray, you pray from the position of where God has put you, and that is you pray from the position of a throne, and you have authority. And all that's given freely, for by grace you have been saved. And that's, that's the gospel. That's what God's got an offer for me, and he's got an offer for everybody here, right? Most of us, I'll, bet I'll do this, so most of us get caught up. We're never quite in our attitude in our lives get beyond the old creation because we don't understand what God has done for us. And that's a big challenge to, to live in what you already have. I don't even recall one teaching I did. Um, I had a picture of a bus and a wee man running behind it. Don't even remember that. Probably not. I'm, I'm used to people not remembering what I've taught. But a wee man's running after the bus. And I said, that's a picture that, that for, of most Christians. They're running to catch a bus that they're already sitting on. 
you're already on the bus. But most of us can spend our whole life trying to catch a bus that we're already on. God has put you in the bus and you don't have to run after it. You're on it. And that is incredibly important for us. Moving on, this is the verse Helen's been reading and we've all been reading it. From now on, do you want to read it with me? Let everybody read. Remember how we were able to go, ah, right, we'll try and get that same level of, of things with us, right? From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, four things I want us to understand from this. First of all, how we see Jesus. This is going to be incredibly important. And how do you see Jesus? The second thing is going to be identity. Who are you? Who are you now? It's not how you've been brought up and how the culture sees you. It's now how does God see you? That is now the most important question of your life. Because in answer to that, will we'll determine how your whole life goes. We'll look at each one. Key word is going to be reconciliation. And the, the, the fourth one is we are the righteousness of God. So how do we see Jesus? Right? Isaiah 53, you probably know it. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. And as you go through the, the Gospels, that's the picture you get of Jesus. That's an important picture. You know, he's humble and, and you know, he's gentle and, and all these things. And that, that's very important. But you see, there's a, another picture of Jesus in the Bible. You've got to understand it, it's a coin with two sides. And the other picture is what we call the risen Christ of Paul and the risen Christ of John. Now, look at this passage in Revelation. John, we believe, was what's called the beloved disciple. He used to be very close to Jesus, right? They were firm buddies, if you want that. They, they, they both had a deep, deep affection for each other. Right, And if you ask John, probably would say Jesus would be one of his closest friends. Even though he was a disciple, Jesus was the master. 
But in the book of Revelation, John is on an island called Patmos, and he suddenly has this vision of Jesus. But, you know, it's not the Jesus who's despised and rejected. It's not the Jesus of the cross. It's the Jesus of the resurrection and Jesus of the ascension, the one who is high and lifted up. And he said, his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing water. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead. But this is a, this is a man who put his head on Jesus' shoulder, his breast. And suddenly he's meeting Jesus again in the risen glory. And it's not, hello, pal, how are you doing? It's, oh, help. And he falls on his face as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades or hell. Two pictures of Jesus we have, and both are valid pictures. And it's interesting, and again, not got time to do it, but whether than another study, in the working of the Holy Spirit in the church and in the life of a Christian, there is a manifestation of the two pictures. And the first one is, the fruit of the Spirit. Do you know that one you heard of? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. The characteristics of Jesus, humility, all these things working in us. But there's another picture, another expression of the Spirit, which is a manifestation of the Jesus who's risen. And that is called the gifts of the Spirit. To some is given the words of knowledge, wisdom. To others is given gifts of healing. To others there is given the workers of miracles. Again, both are valid and both contain this, not a, I hate to use the word separate Jesus, but it's the same coin. And in our very Christian walk, we have the character all expressed in us and we also have the ability, because Jesus said, you'll do even greater works than I do. Things that I do, he said to his disciples, you will do greater works. Why? Because I'm going to the Father. And so the, the very first Christians, and Paul tried to do this in his whole teaching, was to point out that the Jesus is filled with humility and all this gentleness and patience and all this We've got to create the character of Jesus in our lives. But we also have to have this power of Jesus. It's one of the things I pray for, I must be honest. I pray, Lord, let me be a worker of miracles. Because that is a characteristic of Jesus. <laughs> and can you see that? Can you see where I'm getting here? You know, it's very easy to just dwell on the one part of Jesus 
and, and it's all about humility and all that, and not reflect the fact that Christ is risen and you've been seated with him in the heavenly places. Very easy to focus on this one part. That's imbalance. Equally, you get other parts of the church where they just focus on Jesus being risen and the power aspect of the gospel. And they forget about the character of Jesus that has to be created in us in order that when power comes, it doesn't destroy us and it doesn't corrupt us as human beings. You get that point? And it's very easy to be lopsided in your Christian walk. The one you walk with is the one who carried the cross to Calvary, but is also the one who is seated high above everything and has placed you beside him in that place of authority. That's challenging, isn't it? I'm the first one to admit, wow, I, I'm sometimes, like everybody else, I feel miles away from this, but, you know, I, I'm maybe not far up the ladder, but I, I give thanks to God. I feel I'm on the ladder. That's important. You know, sometimes, you know, you might not be far up, but at least you're on the ladder and you've got this potential to go. Yes, well, communicate with me. Yeah, it's all there. If you're a Christian, you're on the, the ladder. Identity, common phrase in Christ. Just checking up, a, a wee bit difference, but between about 50 and 70 times in the New Testament, that phrase occurs to describe you and to describe me. Who are you? Who are you? Well, I was brought up in Gorgoro, Denver. I was born in 1950, brought up with Denver. I, I could, I could catalogue who I am, but who am I? The Bible says you are in Christ. That's your starting point. And that really is a wee bit of, you know, in John's Gospel, Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me and I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is, it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If you look at a tree, can you really separate a tree from its branches? <laughs> you know, I, think, I was thinking about this. If you, if you went outside and you saw a tree, you say, well, that's a tree. No, everything's a tree. Jesus said, you're the branches. He's a vine. And there's no real difference. And if you abide in him as he is in you, then the life of the vine flows into the branch. So it's important to understand your identity. Keyword reconciliation. Can you remember this? Oops, come on. It's not coming. Mike, can you get that on? Remember, is it there? Just put it on. There it is there. Um, remember how we saw the consequences of taking the fruit? Remember how we saw it was separation from God, separation from ourselves, separation from others, separation from creation. And what happens is 
that in this key word reconciliation, we find this, all the separation is to become a oneness in Christ. You, separated within yourself, has a oneness within you that stabilizes. Remember we talked here about you are my rock, you're my anchor. That's a stabilizing force, which is reconciliation within your whole being. With your family, Christ wants to reconcile. It's part of this oneness in Christ. Society to reconcile. I remember how we saw in our first study how all the separate things, people had all different kind of ways of trying to bring about unity. But the Christian gospel says simply, unity can only come in a oneness. It's a oneness in Christ. And that's what's got to be your starting point as a Christian. That's where you start. I am a one with Jesus. And that's the stabilizing. Now, your life may be a mess. There can be areas of your life that's chaotic. But your starting point is very, very important. And if you can understand and leave this place, I feel that whatever God's wanted me to do is done. If you can leave this place saying, in Christ, I am one with him. And that one now is to be the stabilizing, the rock, the anchor, whatever language we want to use that keeps me together. It's a stabilizing thing that will keep my family together. And you remember, you're seated with him in Christ in the high places, and therefore you have an authority in your family. You have an authority over your own life. You have authority. I, I could go on for ages, but I've got to go quickly. We are the righteousness of God, right? He became sin so that you might become righteous. Now, you might not feel that. Your emotions and feelings can scream at you and tell you the exact opposite. But that's not the, the key. The key is what has God said about you? What has he said that you are and what you will develop into in the not just this life, but in the life to come? If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. I, I really, if I'd had longer time, I'd have done other, other stuff. But you see, you and I, we, we, we straddle two ages. There's the old creation, and Christ has put his spirit in us, and we touch the new creation. And we're in between, <laughs> right? We straddle both. That's why sometimes on a Sunday you can go home rejoicing and you're ready to take on everybody and anybody for the sake of Christ. And come Wednesday, you know, you're miserable and you think, am I really a Christian? It's because you live effectively in two worlds. 
And you've got to understand when you become a Christian, you straddle the two. And God is working in you to take you more and more into the new creation. Because in the new creation, you begin, your prayer life takes off. Everything can take off. Because in the new creation, you're going to live out of your identity, not in the old creation where culture, your family, words spoken by other people have determined how you see and how you view yourself. Notice this. The new creation begins in our spirit. And this is important. Our spirit is a ground for the seed. right? Not your emotions, not even your mind. It's your spirit. And if you're a spirit, and here's a wee question, I want you to go home this week, ask yourself it, try and answer it. Are you a physical being with a spirit? Or are you a spirit with a physical body? How you answer that question will determine your Christian life. If God is spirit then spirit is the ultimate, isn't it? Yeah. If God is spirit. And so here's a question. Are you a physical person who happens to have a spirit and therefore sometimes I just like to encourage it type thing? Or are you a spirit that has a physical body? Because the only thing we know for certain, nobody has yet solved the problem only one person has managed to get beyond it, and that was Jesus, that your body is going to die. Everything that is you is going to die if it's all just physical. But if it's spirit, then that's the basis of everything in your life as you prepare, not just for this life, but prepare for the life to come. I, I make the joke, and it's not really a joke, but, you know, I, I, I've often said to a lot of folk, I would like to visit heaven before I die. I'd like to visit heaven. I'd like to meet angels before I die. Because that's the destiny. And so ask yourself that question this week. Am I... Am I a physical being with a spirit or am I a spirit who happens to have a physical being? It's a thought, isn't it? Moving on, in the last couple of verses, and we'll end with this, this is what Paul wrote. You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship or daughtership. And by him we cry, Abba, which really means Daddy in Aramaic. Daddy, Papa, that kind of word, the, 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 the kind of Aramaic term for your, your father that was only between you and him, that kind of thing. And by him we cry, Abba. The Spirit himself, notice what the Spirit does, testifies with what? Our spirit that we are God's children. It's called, in theological terms, the spirit of adoption. You are adopted now into God's family. And God's family lives and moves and has its being in new creation. 
The old is gone, the new has come. And that is the key for your life. I can't, I can't overemphasize, I get excited about I can't overemphasize, you, you are a new creation. You may not feel like it, you may for the last 10, 20, 30 years of your life never lived it out, but that's where you are, and there's no time like the now to begin to start living in it. And here's one of my favorite verses. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In other words, God is already in you working. Your work or your struggle or, you know, the energy that you put into your Christian life is about removing all the obstacles that stops the fullness of God, the fullness of Christ, the fullness of the Holy Spirit coming out in your life. It's not about making yourself right with God. It's not about pleasing God so that he's going to pat you on your head and make you feel good. Nothing about that. It's all about working out your salvation with a fear and a trembling. Why? Because God has already done something big that I have not contributed to. And he now wants me to remove our agendas. Reading the Beatitudes this morning, long quiet time, you know, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. What does that mean? I would translate that, blessed are the people who have managed to deal with the agendas in their life <laughs> and given them to Christ. Because once they've dealt with that, and God's Spirit can begin to move and work in a deep, deep way that you would never imagine. Could you imagine this place being the center of healing and miracles for the East End of Glasgow? Why not? Could this be a place where people talk about it, say, my, the people, you know, it's as though Jesus himself is living in them. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> you know, the only thing that stops it, I think, is me, you. And so I encourage you to go on but start where God starts with you. He's working in you. He's wanting to create something special in you. He wants to use you beyond even your greatest imagination. He wants to do all these things, right? Not to make you feel good, but for his glory. And ultimately, there'll be a oneness. And that oneness will be when Christ finally takes over the ordering of everything. And that's a big challenge. So, is, is that the good news? Isn't it? You don't have to go home and kind of, you know, work your, you can't work your salvation. The good news is, he's giving you it. What you got to do with it? That's his only question to you. And the person or the people who do eventually, give me a guitar, people who do eventually, 
eventually get to the point of learning to work their agendas and bringing their whole life in alignment with him, eventually these people hear, well done, good and faithful servant, because you really did something great. You took away the obstacles that stopped me from really knowing you and you knowing me in a great measure. You've got to press in. You've got to make them yours. It's not just going to happen. You've got to make the decision. And it's as though in every one of us now, we're back in Eden. <laughs> and you've got a choice. Do you eat from the tree of the fruit of life? Or you eat the fruit from the tree of life? Or do you eat from the fruit of good and evil? And that's a choice, a challenge for all of us. Every day in life, you're now going to have a choice. Which fruit? <laughs>